right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Going to be joined by John Kirby in about 35 minutes from right now. Talking some KU football and uh, the recruiting and transfer portal as well with John coming up shortly here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're also going to, throughout the day, play Lance Leipold speaking with the media. It was a long conversation with the media yesterday after um, early signing day, so uh, plenty of audio to get to you today. Going to open things up here, though, with some KU basketball. We've talked a lot this week about uh, how good this KU offense is. Does it have a legit case as maybe the best in the Bill Self era? Does it have a legit case as maybe the best in the country? Well, what does this all mean? And I, I brought up the other day, like, looking at some of the best offenses in the Bill Self era and how they've fared in terms of Bill Self and at KU specifically. But how about nationally? Like, what happens if you have a top five offense, top three offense, the best offense in the country? Well, I have done some research on there. I mean, clearly, if you have one of the nation's best offenses or whatever, like, you're going to be in the discussion of the national title. Uh, It's, I think, a little less about just being elite at offense and more so being elite at something, right? You have to have something you can hang your hat on, and if you're fully elite on one end of the court— that's obviously going to make things a lot easier, right? If you're elite on one end of the court, it allows you to just be good on the other end of the court and you can win a title. Whereas if you're average on both ends, it maybe becomes a little bit tougher. Um, So that's the obvious. But since 2002, which dates back 20 seasons, um, Ken Palmera. Now, as I'm looking at this, though, it's 19 seasons worth of data because I'm not going to account for the 2019-20 season. That was the season in which there was no NCAA tournament. So what I'm looking at here is is how teams fared in the NCAA tournament based on having an elite offense and so forth. So I'm not going to take that year into account. So from the 2001 to 2002 season, all the way through last season, that gives us 19 college basketball seasons of data. And if you look at the top five offenses every season, five season or 19 seasons, five best offenses each season that gives you 95 teams of a sample size to look through of those 95 teams that had a top five offense in college basketball 65 of the 95 made the sweet 16 oh that means almost 70 percent of the time if you have a top five offense you're making the sweet 16 and I guess that makes sense if you have a top five offense you should be one of the better teams in the country you're going to be expected to go to the sweet 16 so that number might not be that crazy but 46 made the elite eight means 48% of the top five offenses made it to the Elite Eight. That's pretty crazy. 28 of the top five offenses made the Final Four, which is 30%. And if you said, hey, we have a top five offense, I'm giving you a one-in-three shot to make the Final Four, 
I think you take that, right? Um, because, for instance, Bill Self has been one of the best coaches in college basketball. He has three Final Fours in, what, 15, 16 seasons? That's a lower percentage than one out of three. 20 of the teams with top five, five offenses made the national title game. That's 21%. So, again, that's a really good mark. One out of every five. And 14 won the national title, meaning you have about a 15% chance if you have a top five Ken Palm adjusted offense, you have about a 15% chance to win the title, which I know that doesn't sound like great odds, but trust me, that is very good odds when you have a one team tournament or a single elimination tournament. Those are really good. But maybe more importantly, in going through those numbers, that means that 14 of the last 19 national champions, again, 14 of the last 19 national champions had top five offenses. So be really good on the offensive side of the ball. Be elite on the offensive side of the ball. That is almost a prerequisite to be a national champion. I have some defensive numbers here that we'll get to just to kind of cross compare. But basically... If you want your best shot at winning a national title, be an elite offense. Be a top-five offense. KU has that going for them this season. Now, if we narrow it down even more, because like I said, there's a case to be made that KU's not just a top-five offense, that they're the best offense in the country. So what happens if we narrow this down to, let's go to the top-three offenses? That gives us 57 teams. Right, 19 seasons of data, top three offenses in each of those 19 seasons. So 57 teams of sample size. 42 made the Sweet 16. So now you're jumping up to about 75% of the top three offenses make the Sweet 16. 31 made the Elite Eight. So you're up to 54% made the Elite Eight. 22 made the Final Four. That means about 40% of the teams with the top three offense made it to the Final Four. 17 made the national title, 30%. So remember what I was saying? You take a one and three shot to make the final four. Well, this is a one and three shot to make the national title game if you have a top three offense. And 13 won the national title, which is good for 23%. That also means that 13 of the last 19 national champions had a top three offense, right? 14 of the last 19 had top five. 13 of the last 19 had a top three. And again, that means about a quarter of the time, the teams have a top three offense, they're winning the national title. So KU having a top three offense this year, if I were to say you have a one in four chance to win the title, you're taking those odds to the bank right now. Having a really good offense is really, really important. And I guess if we're going to get in the argument of what's better, have a good defense or a good offense, I think I would lean offense. But here's, let's go one more step further. If you have the number one offense in the country. Because I think there's a good chance KU finishes in the top three. Good chance they finish in the top five. What happens if they do end up having the number one offense? They do on Bart Torvik right now. Uh, they're behind Purdue right now on uh, Ken Palm. But, you know, it's very close. Things could change. There's obviously lots of games to go. So if you have the number one offense, again, 19 seasons of data, that only gives us 19 teams to look at, so it's a smaller sample. But 14 of the 19 made the Sweet 16, 10 of the 19 made the Elite Eight, 9 of the 19 the Final Four, 8 the National Title Game, and 4 won the National Title. 
So it's it's not like that much crazier for the number one offense versus having a top three offense. So honestly, it doesn't really matter if you are number one, if you are the best versus number two, number three. Just be a top three offense, and that's going to get you in that discussion. But I will say, if you do have the number one offense, if you noticed between the Elite Eight, Final Four, and National Title, basically, if you have the number one offense, what history has shown, you have close to a 50% chance of making the National Title game and or the Final Four in Elite Eight. Number one offenses, again, have made the National Title in the Ken Palm era eight out of 19 times. That's slightly below 50%. That is incredible and shows you how important it is to score the basketball. I mean, it, it sounds stupid, right? Like, oh, yeah, the team who scores more points is going to win. If you make shots, you're going to be really good. Like, But it's, it's also true. And the teams that make more shots or have better talent are going to make more shots or uh, whatever it is, you know, that you have more talent is going to open up driving lanes and going to allow you to make easier shots. And I think it's more important than than having a great defense, as I was alluding to. And last year was kind of the opposite for KU. Over the last two months of the season, they were the number one defense in the country over the last two months until that USC game. But the offense left something to be desired, and they got blown out in the second round. You have to have the horses. You have to have the firepower to score a lot of points. Now, this isn't to say that you know, if you have the number two offense but the 60th ranked defense, you're probably still screwed. You have to have some balance there. But if you have the option between being the number two offense and the number 30 defense, kind of like what KU is right now, versus being the number two defense and the number 30 offense, you take the offense every day of the week. So I did the same kind of, uh, I don't know, statistic breakdown of the defensive side just to compare for that reason, like what is more important, having the offense or the defense, or is it just more important to be elite at either thing? Well, it's probably just more important to be elite at one thing, but again, I think you take the offense over the defense. So out of comparison, if you have a top five defense, there are 62 that made the Sweet 16, that's three less than having a top five offense, 42 that made the Elite Eight, that's four less than the top five offense, 27 that made the Final Four, just one less than a top five offense, 16 made the national title, which is four less that had a top five offense. But here's where the big difference is. While 14 top five, well, I should say 14 of the last 19 national champions had top five offenses. Only six of the last 19 had top five defenses. So clearly there is a weight between, you know, more often teams with the top five offense are winning it than teams with the top five defense. But if you go even further, teams with the top three defense have only won the title two times of the last 19 years. And the percentages, again, across the board, though not heavily in favor of the top three or, or top one offense, although the top one offense very much bested the top one defense, um, there's very much a slight favorite for the offense. And so that's where I go with this. It's important to just be elite at one thing. It's important to be elite no matter what. It's something that you do. So if you're a really good defensive team, be the best defensive team you can be. And you can still win a title that like that. Sometimes we get too caught up in the idea that this is the only way to win a title. You have to follow this path. No, it's the team who does their things best and, and makes their flaws about average or or less flaw flawed than the other teams, right? Um, but over the course of time, teams with top five offenses 
have had really good runs in the NCAA tournament. And I think I would take having a really good offense, as the numbers would show, than having a really good defense just by a little bit more. And that's pretty good news for KU because their offense has been very, very elite. And their offense has legitimately been one of the best in the entire country. And if this continues on, they might just end up the best in the entire country. And like I said, if you're taking a 1-4 in four chance to win the title with a top three offense, you take that every day of the week in a single elimination tournament. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we're going to let you listen in to some Lance Leipold audio. Then after that, we'll hear from John Kirby of Jayhawkslant and Rivals.com talking some uh, KU football recruiting, transfer portal, all that stuff. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Joined now by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant, Rivals.com, after the early signing period yesterday. And we got to hear from Lance Leipold, but it's a, a bit of a smaller class so far from the high school end of things, and, and that's something you've kind of been, um, I guess, teasing us with over the course of this season, the idea that this probably would be a pretty big transfer portal class for KU, but I guess before we get into the transfer portal guys, which I know Lance Leipold couldn't talk about, um, as far as the high school guys, uh, the guy who, um, I don't know, would you consider Caleb Purdy to be kind of the, the crown jewel of this high school recruiting class? Yeah, I think from a pure rankings side of it and, you know, offers, you know, early on, Derek, Caleb, you know, he had them lined up. You know, I mean, Michigan offered him, uh, Iowa offered him, and then, you know, the word we kind of got was, the old saying that you hear all the time, well, if he was just two inches taller type thing, right? Well, here's the, you know, with, with somebody like Purdy, all right, those are the exact guys Kansas needs to help build their program. I go back to the Mangino days. That's what they did, right? The guy that everybody laid off of because he was two inches too short and 15 pounds too light on a sheet of paper. But when you turned his film on, he could play. I mean, Purdy played at the Smet High School, which is one of the premier programs in the state of Missouri, and he was the defensive player of the year in his conference. So, I mean, the, the kid can flat out play football, and I think he was a great grab, although he may not fit those exact metrics and measurements that some of the big-time schools look for. And uh, obviously a guy who I would imagine would come in and, and uh, is he going to play safety? Would they move him to, to corner? What do you think the plans will be for that? Yeah, no, I think he's been projected the whole way as a safety. He's got good enough ball skills and he's physical. Um, and, and that's where I think he'll end up. I don't think he'll be a corner. They also brought in a couple uh, offensive tackles. James Livingston, who... Boy, does he have uh, a big body, 6'7", 275. I mean, that's that's power five size right there. Joe Baker at 6'4", 250, maybe a little more undersized, but I really enjoyed hearing Lance Leipold talk about kind of his pedigree there. So what do you think about the uh, offensive tackle class KU is bringing in here? Yeah, Derek, I think, you know, James Livingston is definitely the prototypical tackle. You know, 6'7", I can't remember what he's listed at, 270, 280, something like that. But, you know, he's... 
you know, he's from Dexter, Michigan. Every when I would talk to James, he always joked how small of a town he's from. But I mean, he made every all conference, all district, all state team. He was first state, you know, coaches uh, poll. He was first state Detroit in the Detroit News poll. So he, he you know, he, everybody knew who he was. He told me one game. I think he had like twelve pancake blocks in one game. So and, and you know, here's the thing with Livingston that I like. He is someone that the coaches knew at Buffalo, and they really wanted him there. And then when they got to Kansas, they said, listen, we know about this kid. We know what he is. We believe he can play in the Big 12. So they had some past experience, and Scott Phillips does a great job with evaluation. And then Joey Baker, I mean, he, he, he's just an old throwback. I always enjoy talking to Joey Baker. He's not big into the Twitter stuff. He's not big into the social media. Uh, you know, his dad's a former football coach. And Joey Baker started at left tackle, Derek, at South Lake Carroll for the last two years, who is one of the top programs in the country. This year, South Lake Carroll, uh, whenever you looked at the national rankings, they were always between about 10 and 15. They just got knocked out of the state semifinals last week. But, I mean, that is a big-time factory. So for a kid to get him who had started two years at South Lake, and I promise you, there are college coaches looking at him and because they are always looked at on film by recruiters. So th- those are two good gifts at offensive line. And I, Joey Baker, it'll be interesting if he stays at tackle because he is athletic, but he may project to even a guard or a center as well. We're talking with John Kirby here on RCST. Uh, when we talk blocking, that was kind of my first thought of the JUCO guy they're bringing in, Tavita Noah, I believe that's how you pronounce it, from Snow College, tight end at 6'3", 250. If you look at you know the stats, it doesn't necessarily jump off the page in terms of receiving numbers, but that can also be a little uh, misleading sometimes at the JUCO level. But he comes in as, as one of the top JUCO tight ends in the country, and uh, if you just look at like you know pro football focus grades and whatnot, obviously uh, KU's tight ends struggled a bit this year in, in terms of some of the blocking numbers at different points. So is that what Tavita Noah is being brought in for as a JUCO guy to c- try to uh, kind of plug that hole right away? Yeah, you know, Derek, he is a he, I mean, he is definitely a really good blocker, you know, but, you know, he, he made it known to me when I talked to him a few times, you know, he can get out and pass routes and catch. You know, he was committed to TCU for several months, and then when TCU had the coaching change, he decided to open everything up, and the minute he opened up, he didn't do it on social media, so nobody really knew about it, but somehow Andy Kotelnicki knew about it. So he said Kotelnicki was like the first coach to contact him, so he jumped on him right away. What KU wants to do in that wide zone, you have got to be able to block on the perimeter, okay? And this year, there were struggles, okay? The tight end blocking did struggle there. So, Tavita Noah is going to be somebody that's going to come in, and as physical as he is, he is going to be able to provide some blocking out there in how they want to run their offensive line. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, the guys, the guys there now – are going to have to pick up their games when it comes to blocking, or they're going to, or he, or he, he's going to catch him fast. Yeah, I, I just think that one's kind of interesting because of the fact that you know when you look at this class, it actually is all I guess freshman guys without the uh, the transfer portal. I think he's the one difference in that. Now Mason Ellis, we've heard the word gray shirt tossed around, and 
I, I think I've explained this the right way, but um, I believe that basically just means he'd wait a year or, or a semester technically to join the team and the scholarship would count for the next year. Is that correct? So Mason Ellis would count to the class in terms of scholarship numbers for 2023? Yeah, so in, what you would do, Derek, instead of reporting to the team, like m- most of the newcomers this this upcoming June will report probably first week of June, okay? Mason Ellis will delay his enrollment till the following January, all right? And then he'll go on scholarship. It, it's almost like a full scholarship. It's just that you're joining the next class. So it's and you know Mason Ellis even told me when I talked to him, he was really on board with the with the plan because he thinks it gives him extra time to develop and be able to come in and ready to go. Now, now physically, I think he's really good. I mean, I saw him this summer at KU's camp, and he ran two sub four five forties. I know at Jake Sharp's uh, Sharp Performance Combine earlier, he ran like four 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 and four four three. So, I mean, this guy Mason Ellis is not. When you think of gray shirt, you're thinking, oh, it's just somebody they liked, but they didn't want to bring in right now. No, Mason Ellis has ability and he has talent. I've even talked to him. You know, he thinks he can play corner. You know, he's athletic enough. He thinks he could do that at the next level. So, But I still think he projects to safety. But he's a good get. And the big thing is, Derek, with this one, these are the kind of guys that Bill Snyder used to get and get in his program. And then two years later, they're starting half the games. Okay? And he's a hometown guy. He grew up a KU fan. And he's one of those kids that will go to the program and play with pride. How much do you think uh, Jared Casey's performance at the end of the season, or, or I guess just local kids in general, if you wanted to add on guys like Devin Neal or, or Sam Bird or whoever, um, how much do you think local players playing an impact on this team is right now having an impact on the local recruiting scene, whether it is getting guys like Mason Ellis or whether it'll relate to, I guess, the local walk-on scene? Well, on the walk-ons, you know, they, they've always done an okay job in that. I think the big thing for them in the local side is to be able to start getting some of these guys, who, especially in the 2023 class, because now they've had the chance to start building relationships with guys in that class. So the reason you don't see a lot of high school kids in this class, Derek, is because they didn't get here till May and get their staff assembled. So they're, they're months and months behind recruiting high school kids for the 2022 class that's signing now. Now, next year will be different. They will have a chance to start establishing some relationships and recruiting guys. Here's the thing, though. On the local front, and I've said this, it comes down to winning, and it comes down to building relationships. And sometimes even the relationships locally hasn't been a big enough factor I think you still got to keep winning games to get some of these bigger local names. Yeah, I, I just wonder like how much it did play into, who knows, maybe a guy like Mason Ellis because obviously having a scholarship offer to North Dakota State, that is uh, certainly not something that you'd blink at. No, absolutely not. I mean, North Dakota State's an FCS powerhouse. And, and not only that, New Mexico State came in late and offered. Jerry Kill took that job there. And then they hired Dryling as the defensive coordinator. So, you know, they, they knew who Mel Ellis was, and they went in there late and offered him a scholarship and tried to get him on a visit. And I think he was going to visit there. And then he told me, he, you know, most likely he's not going to. 
Okay, and then the last high school guy, at least on on scholarship, because there were a couple other preferred walk-ons they announced yesterday, Ethan Vasco, who was a late get, but it sounds like a guy that they had been in contact with, and then once they heard about Conrad Hawley and Miles Kendrick that uh, maybe they pulled the trigger on offering the scholarship there. So Ethan Vasco, a quarterback prospect, we weren't sure if they were going to bring one on until all that occurred. Uh, What do you think of this young quarterback? Yeah, listen, when, when I first got the tip about him, I went and watched him. I pulled his film up, and I'm watching, and I'm going, okay, what, what's the catch here? I mean, the kid, he looked pretty good size on the film. On film. He's running. I mean, there are some clips now. He gets outside. He outruns some of the outside linebackers and defensive backs. Well, then I find out the camp that Zabrowski saw him at down at Florida State, he ran 4-5 at the camp. So I'm sitting here going, the kid can throw. He can make a lot of different throws. He fits balls in tight windows. There's some plays where he's got fades in the end zone. There's a nice touch. And I'm thinking, okay, what's the catch here? Like old dominion, you know, Hey, listen, old dominion is going to a ball game. Okay. So I'm not knocking old dominion, but I'm thinking, then I start researching him and find out he's taken his team to three state title games. He's the two-time Offensive Player of the Year in 6A in Virginia, which is their largest class. And, you know, Virginia Tech did offer him early on, then they ended up finding another quarterback, so an offer wasn't there from them. But this guy's good. I mean, I mean this guy, he threw for nine over 9,000 yards in three years. And I'm telling you, Virginia football, it's no joke. If you go watch some of those high schools in Virginia play, they are talented. So this was a great get. Um, for Kansas, I think this guy's a really good player. I would imagine that the plan from the KU staff, I, I don't know, would you think that it would be to redshirt him because of the fact that Jalen Daniels is still a young guy who would be in front of him? Well, I would think that, you know, coming in, you're hoping as a coach, as a, as a staff, that guys like Jalen Daniels and, and Jason Bean can carry that position for a little while. You know, it, what you hope is, Derek, with any quarterback, right, as a true freshman, where you hope your program is, you hope most of any of your true freshmen, especially as a quarterback, they come in, they watch, they learn, they hang around with the quarterback's coach, they redshirt, and they they fit in the system. Usually, if you're having to play that true freshman quarterback, it's one of two things. It's either that kid is phenomenal and beats everybody out, or number two, you're playing them out of necessity because you don't have anybody else. So, what you're hoping is, is he comes in and gets a chance to just learn the system for a year. And then I mentioned the the couple of uh, preferred walk-ons that they announced yesterday. I, I don't know if, if they ever get to a point where they just straight up announce all the regular walk-ons or if that's something where it just, you know, all, all of a sudden they're on the roster, all of a sudden they're here. Um, but what are you kind of expecting from this walk-on list from KU this season? Yeah, uh, Farkas from Northwest is a, is a lineman that they – they actually got on pretty early and, and offered him the, the walk-on. I, I want to say, oh, it was back in September he accepted that walk-on spot. And then Glasgow, you know, he's he's got talent, you know. Um, it, it's pretty amazing that he didn't start kicking until basically this summer, never really focused on kicking a football. I actually had a t- chance to talk to Clint Bowen yesterday. And, you know, Clint's, Clint's been around a lot of Power 5 football and, and handled special teams and you know, he said he said he's got a lot of talent. He's got a big leg, and you know, he said he's got a few things to learn. But it's the the, the potential is there. 
So we're talking with John Kirby here, Jayhawk Slant Rivals. I, I mentioned the fact of the of the transfer portal and, and how you've kind of, uh, I guess, warned us that this is, is going to be a thing in a positive way uh, for KU. And, and so far they've landed five different guys on the transfer portal. Do you think they're close at all to being done on what they're doing in the transfer portal? Oh, no, Derek. This is, <laughs> this is going to be a lot of work, man, for covering recruiting. I think so. What the NCAA did is they put a rule in that says for every guy that enters the portal December 15th and on, okay, you get an initial counter back, all right? Well, when it's all said and done, I'm thinking Kansas is going to have an additional seven spots to give on top of what we see now, okay? I think they had around maybe 14 to give with this class because there were some blue shirts that came off from last year's numbers. So you've got... Uh, what, five, five, six committed, but Ellis is a gray shirt you've got that signed. Then you got five transfer guys who are committed. So that still leaves like three or four left over from the current numbers. And then you add the seven on. I think we're looking at 10 or 11 more possibilities still on top of what we know now. So <laughs> this recruiting, is it has changed so much, Derek. This is going to – you and I are going to be talking in March, April, and May about, you know, portal guys who are taking official visits and, and, and Kansas is looking at this thing is going to go through the spring. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible to hear that they could basically triple up what they already have. Um, is there – I don't know. Do you get a sense on on what they would specifically be looking for at this point in the transfer portal, whether it's certain positions or you know a type of player, anything like that? Yeah, you know, I, I still think they'll look definitely for a rush end or two. You know, they were on a couple guys in junior college, uh, didn't didn't get one that they wanted. They were on an offensive lineman at the very end, didn't get one. So I could see offensive line, defensive end, and then it could just be the best available thing. You know, you look around and you. Some receiver comes in the portal, and maybe there's a connection to him. It's just like Kalen Gervin from Michigan State, okay? He's committed to KU now. He, he entered the portal from Michigan State. He committed to Wisconsin, and then he flipped to Kansas. And there was all kinds of connections that Kansas staff had to him. So you could have some guy that you weren't even planning on go in the portal, and all of a sudden some guy goes, some coach on staff goes, hey, I know his dad really well. You know, so that's how a lot of this stuff comes up. As far as the the guys that are currently committed from that transfer portal, um, I guess we'll start on the defensive side with with three guys coming in: Craig Young, Eric Gilliard, Kalon Gervin. Uh, do you kind of view all of those guys as playing immediate roles for KU, and uh, kind of what role do you view them all filling? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely view those guys as, as impact guys. I mean, you know, Gilliard, you know, played at Central Florida, somebody that was in a bowl every year and had 200 tackles there. He, you know, he's your he's your old school middle linebacker guy. You know, he's a physical player. You know, maybe, maybe not your guy. You went out covering tight ends in space, but boy, when when you're third and two and somebody's coming in the a gap that he's the guy you want there and then Kalen Gervin, you know half his i believe half his games he played at michigan state he started so you got a guy who started at corner at michigan state i mean i think that kind of speaks for itself just what kind of talent and ability he'll bring into the program and then craig young might be my favorite from ohio state in their last home game against michigan state 
you know, he, he had an expanded role. The Ohio State head coach even said in his press conference going in that game that they need to get Craig Young on the field more. So if you think about this, you've got Ohio State, okay? I mean, if you watch them play, Derek, you know they got guys running around all over the field who are cats. I mean, they got dudes on the field. And Craig Young's a guy that they had on the field, you know, a decent amount of time. So I just think that shows you, you know, 6'4", 225. He played the bullet position at Ohio State, which is like the Hawk is on KU's defense. So I think that would be a good fit for him. Offensively, they bring in two guys. Uh, Savion Morrison, a uh, former four-star recruit, goes to Nebraska. Still got lots of years with him. Do you kind of view it as being a, a one-two punch between Morrison and Neal next season? Well, yeah. You know, you got to see who comes back and who comes back healthy and who improves. Um, but he definitely has all the ability to be a big 12 back. I talked to the guys who run our Nebraska site for rivals, and they followed him really close. And they said, hey, he's going to be a really good back in the Big 12. He's talented. He's 6'1", 210. He's got size. He can cut. He's got some speed for a big guy. So, you know, I'll tell you this. I don't think it's like Nebraska wanted him to leave. So, and then you got Nolan Gorsica from the offensive lineman from Buffalo. Again, I'm going to go back to our guys at Nebraska. Uh, I talked to them because that's where he's from. And in the Shrine Bowl, he played in up there as a high school senior before he went to Buffalo last year. And he and the guys at Nebraska told me they were hanging around the coaches at this Shrine Bowl, and they said every year there's a kid who just jumps out at them that maybe isn't known or, you know, didn't go to one of the big schools. And they said that there's always a guy that they see, man, this kid's got a chance to play on Sundays. Well, they said Gorsica was that guy after the Shrine Bowl practices that they said, He's got that ability. You know, he's 6'6", like 305. Uh, he's athletic. When I talked to him the other day, he told me he plays five sports. So, I mean, this guy, this is a guy that the Buffalo coaches, Fuchs, Leipold, they all knew about him. They recruited him there. So it's that relationship thing. It's the, it's the knowledge of knowing who you're bringing in that is, is an added plus. Because one thing that you never know, Derek, is what kind of kid are you getting? Okay, because a lot of this is unknown. Is he going to come in? Is he going to be a program kid or not? Well, with Gorsica, they know. Look at all the Buffalo guys they brought in this year. They were all great kids. They're all program kids, all good attitudes. And that speaks a lot that you know that before a kid hits campus. Well, I'm glad you pronounced his name because I didn't know how to pronounce it there. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. All right, that is John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant Rivals. John, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right, Derek, have a good one. That was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals. You can go subscribe to them and uh, check out all of John's great work and, and what's going on on the message boards and some locked content and everything. Um, so lots of good info on the KU recruiting class, and there will be plenty more to be added. That is wild to think about. They could still add 10 more guys in the transfer portal. Well, that'll make for very good content for us here on RCST in the coming months. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. Well, we shared earlier in the day for you, Lance Leipold speaking with the media yesterday for uh, National Signing Day, the early signing period, and we didn't get uh, to talk about the transfers or anything. That's something that they can't talk about until I don't know when they can talk about that. If that's like a second semester thing, because that would, that would be when they enroll or the off season. I, I don't know when they can talk about that. Um, 
So we know it's happening, but they just can't officially talk about it due to NCAA rules. So it was, it was just kind of the the small high school class, and and obviously a small class indeed. Like you're talking about single digit players, and there were eight, and two of them were preferred walk ons, right? Most of the other Big Twelve schools, you have. 15, 16, 20 kids who are committed to you from the high school levels. KU is approaching a little differently because of the fact that um, they actually are fine up on scholarships now and they're going to utilize the transfer portal to help fill some gaps with the kind of ability that the transfer portal gives you nowadays to bring on Division One or Power Five level players who have experience who can help you in certain ways, and also because of the free transfer rule, can give you two, three, four years instead of just being a one-year thing, where it is a more viable option in building a roster. But uh, here is the second part of Lance Lightbold speaking with the media after signing day yesterday. Do you have a sense of how many high school guys you might end up with? Not completely yet. No. Okay. I I don't. There could be a few more there, but yeah. You mentioned the 85. How how close can you guys get to 85 next year? What's it? I think we can. Like? We'll be. I, I think we have a chance to be there. Yes. And and I guess holistically, and I say that, and you know, we could we could we could put a lot of people to sleep on this <laughs> subject, but but those of you that kind of really are kind of into that a little bit, and and days if we start using these words, that sometimes I, I make them explain it to me a couple times, but. It also would depend on how much, you know, if we're in the business of, of spending some of the, the 23 class. And, and we want to be very, very cautious with that as well, but at the same time addressing what we need to because, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a class, especially locally, that we've been able to, to build relationships and, and, and really start analyzing and looking forward to continuing that. And we want to make sure as we do that that we can, we can do those things. So, um, you know, there's – I don't know what – I'm sure somebody, uh, John, will break down um, what percentage would, will be high school signees, how many will be junior college in that across the country and, and where, where the makeup is and how that compares. Um, the other part that's going to be really interesting is, you know, when they break those numbers down, it used to be like 93% were signing on this day. Well, I don't know if that's really going to be the case based on how people use any and any of their transfers in, in their scholarship announce or uh, you know all those things. So it's going to be interesting. I I think for us though, um, it's important as we go through, and it's not offense to the people that that do that for a living or or any of those things. We respect those. Is that our main focus has to be that we make our football team better better for the short term, better for the long term. And what do I mean by that is, is we have to create more situations of internal competition each and every day to get everybody to their, to their highest potential and, and, and reach that. So when we look at that and we're looking at where we're unbalanced and we, we inherited a, a situation where we're highly imbalanced in offense and defensive scholarships. We have some positions that are highly over scholarship based on a breakdown. Not, not people's abilities, it's just where, where you want them that. And that causes death problems at times. So we want to get ourselves in the best position moving forward. And, and we believe that uh, we are well on our way to do that. Following up on that, we're, because of the timing and, and because of what you just talked about there, 
Were you able to, to worry about need as much, or did you have to worry about the numbers just as much? Or how did you, I guess, big picture approach your, your attack yeah, in this class? When you say timing, our arrival, you know, won't yeah. you be glad when we don't have to talk about that <laughs> anymore like as much? Years, yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, um, some of each, you know, we, but, but again, the, the other component for us, um, just to be as transparent as I can is, you know, so many people are, it, this is moving so fast these days with high school players and offers and that. Well, it's hard to offer. It was hard to do a lot in the 22 class when you haven't coached the, the, your current team and how it was going to fit us. So that was challenging along the way. And then as you evolve through this season, certain guys start elevating their game and they're progressing like, yeah, well, here we see that. Or this guy's coming, or this one, or this area is now is is not as quite as deep as we had hoped and we need, and so those were you know so it's always kind of moving, and it and it probably will be that way for a while, and I think the things that um, again to kind of answer some of these uh, just holistically on recruiting is, you know Daniel Burke gave me uh, one of our uh, game notes one week, and it talked about the amount of starts that another another school had had. And I asked them to do ours. And we're like, it was almost half, maybe 60%. And what, and what today's transfer portal and other things are doing is people can recruit for depth and, and, and get more experience within the, that, that too deep that gets handed to you every week and stay as an older veteran football team. And as you know, we're the youngest Power 5 football team in the country. So solely just adding more high school players, I don't know what's going to be in, the, in, in this changing landscape. This is a different way of college football than when I stood in front of you on, on May 3rd and talked about recruiting. It is vastly changed. And uh, we have to be able to adapt in many different ways with it. Were, were you here long enough? Was that enough of a season to, to truly identify need? And, and did you do it? Did you, did you address it? Are you success, satisfied with it? In um, I guess I'll give ourselves a little bit more. We, you know, we'd like to see a little more in the spring because part of that has to do with understanding and implementing of what we're going to do and how, how the current players are doing that and where we need more help. Um, some of that has to do with health. Sometimes there are some players that, uh, you know, didn't even partake this year really in anything. Um, but, yeah, it gave us a good, a good starting point. Um, and we knew through some schematic changes that we we're going to be light in some areas, and, and we've got to find ways to catch that back up. I, I think it's, it was uh, um, a good start, but I think we'll feel better um, – after spring as we really head into the summer part of the recruiting of the 23 class so that that part's exciting and Lance, i know you can't talk about it specifically yet but um you just mentioned the transfer portal how everything has changed and i think a lot of the excitement from the fan base has been what potentially could happen for you guys with the transfer portal are you guys excited as a staff with what potentially could happen <laughs> through that avenue for you guys? um we're, we're excited about any way that we can prove our football team and that's internally right now. And we've had some great meetings the last two and a half days and, and getting on the same page. And, and, and when I say and I'm, I'm kind of going slightly off what you're asking, then you can bring me back to the portal type things. But uh, um, 
is, you know, we had a chance with Matt Gildersleeve, our strength coach, and myself sitting in all these, and I think we're in the 70s now with the meetings of, of 95 players, is um, our stage our nutritionist sits in, the position coach sits in, and we do a holistic type meeting with them. And we, again, we all get on because we're telling them how we see them and they give feedback and it gives us a great opportunity as we head towards um, winter conditioning. So with that, that part of our roster is going to get better. And yeah, I, I think um, for a program like us and where we're at, they're, they're, and, and I just said, everybody's kind of involved in this now. Yeah, we, we have to be excited about some things. Um, I've always tried to be cautious, whether it be these names that we just mentioned or anyone else, because as we know, you don't, you have to wait to see when they get here. And I wanna make sure it's fair to them. But um, you know, from what we say, what we expect, what we want them to do, um, yeah, I'm excited about where, where where we're heading, just like I've always been, and uh, hopefully I can be more specific in a month or so. That was Lance Leipold speaking after early signing period started up yesterday. A couple things I want to touch on that he talked about there. Uh, the scholarship numbers, that was more of a brief thing, him talking about, yeah, they think they can get up to or close to that 85 scholarship number. So KU finally pretty much has recovered from the sins of Charlie Weiss, so to speak, and that's obviously really good news at a time when you feel like you have a really good staff and you have some momentum. Uh, things are really starting to click and, and come together, I, I think, moving ahead. Um, you also heard him talking about the scholarship reallocation of positions. I thought that was interesting because I, you don't always think about that stuff, and, and I hadn't really considered this much, but um, you obviously have a certain amount of scholarships. You're not just it, like, yes, if, if a five-star or four-star kid's like, I want to play here, you're going to make room for him, right? If the kid's good enough or you want him that bad, you're going to make room for him. So I don't want to say it like that, but... You're not going to actively go out of your way to recruit maybe certain positions or a certain kid if you know as you're looking up at the board and you say we have this many of this guy and we only have this many of this guy. And I think what he might have been in reference to there when he when he was talking about and things change over the course of the season when you realize like where you need certain scholarships or where you need to allocate stuff was probably the running back position, right? Because of how thinned out it got by injury. And then by the end of the year, you're playing with uh, – Maury Pesic Hickson and then no other like scholarship guy. And I think on the flip side, you look at how many scholarship players KU has at the receiver position, which made sense at the time when maybe you were going to be in a Brent Deerman offense or before that when you were in a uh, air raid offense where you just have more receivers that you need to play. But in this current um, scheme, maybe you need, you know, instead of having whatever it was before. I don't know the exact number. Let's say it was 14 scholarship receivers or 12 scholarship receivers on your roster. Instead of having that many, maybe in the new scheme, they're just saying, hey, we're fine with having 10 scholarship receivers and we're going to add an extra scholarship um, to how many guys we'd like to have every year at running back and add another one to linebacker or whatever it is, right? You just have to kind of figure out how you're going to make that all work. So I thought that was a, just kind of an interesting look inside things. Um, but the most prevalent part of that whole, I guess, audio... Um, segment was him talking about the transfer portal. And two quotes really stick out there from Lance Leipold in this. The first one, stay as older veteran football team. Just pulling that quote out of context. In what the transfer portal can do for you. It can make you stay as an older football team. And he mentioned the fact that KU is the youngest Power 5 team in the country. 
and that's great for development, that's great for everything. But now you kind of combine that with trying to add some more age. And I think kind of what he was alluding to there is the beauty of the transfer portal is that it allows you to constantly have an option for a veteran player, right? Because this isn't something where it's just, okay, we're going to bring this transfer guy and then he'll be gone in a year or two and then what are we going to do then? Then we'll go to a freshman. No, there's already so many players going into the transfer portal now. And now in this new age of college football, because this was the other quote that stood out, he says, this is a different way of college football. The idea that you'll always have an option in the transfer portal, that is there. We've seen that in college basketball. We're seeing it now in college football to where you can almost go into every season and say, you know what, if we have 25 scholarships to give out, we'll plan on giving 10 to a high school guy, 10 to transfer portal guys, and the other five will just be the five best players that fill out the final 25 of that, whichever way we have to go, transfer portal or high school based on what we need, based on if we think we're contending, all all these things, right? Where you can basically go into it with a plan to do this and that because you know, like you know every year there are high school kids graduating and there are thousands of high school football players. Well, now you know every year there are going to be a lot of not just transfers in general, but impactful transfers in college football. There are so many and so many opportunities for you to grow your team that way and keep them as an old team because even if you lose a transfer, you go back to the transfer portal the next year. And the fact that he said that, this is a different way of college football, the fact that he's embracing it, right? We, we've seen quotes from guys like Dabo Sweeney and others who – kind of hate this whole notion. And maybe he doesn't like it. I'm sure from a coaching perspective, it does make things a lot more complicated from roster construction, from just retaining guys on your own roster to trying to figure out which guys you want to bring in because there are now so many guys you have to evaluate and scout from both transfer portal and the high school level. So I'm sure it gives him a headache. And from that perspective, I'm sure that the coaching staff doesn't like it. But instead of pulling the, I guess, Dabo Sweeney approach, talking about how much this sucks and and how much blah, blah, blah. He's embracing the change because he realizes this is the opportunity for KU to strike. This is a real opportunity for KU to get old and stale, for KU to get real other good players and, and power five or, or other high levels of experience and add it on to what they're doing with development and as a program and, and teaching and, and scheme and everything. And that is, I think, one of the beauties of this coaching staff and what Lance Leipold and KU are doing in this offseason. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll have more Lance Leipold audio to share with you coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll be back after this timeout on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. So Chiefs Chargers tonight, and we're going to do some game props, some little bets for this game with the Chiefs taking on the Chargers. Adam, you are the reigning prop bet champion after uh, going 5-3. and three. In the KU one, I went four and four. So uh, I guess I'll we give... both we both owe uh, Remy Martin and Dewan Harris a lot for for helping us out for that KU starting five last week. Yeah, yeah, barely got it there, but yeah, I know, that's crazy to think. I, I think if Dewan Harris wouldn't have hit one more three, it would have been a tie. Is that right? 
Yeah, because he yeah because KU starting five beat him by three, so sixty eight sixty five. Which is wild. It took Dewan Harris going three of four from three after he was like zero for seven coming into the game. But uh, alas, that is it happened. Prop bets, yeah, that's all that matters. Winner's a winner. Okay, uh, the first one we're gonna get to here. The Chiefs team total is twenty eight points over under. Man, that's uh, it's so weird to think that because of how dominant this offense has been. Um, I'm going to say over because I think they have to get there. Like, I, I think that's what they have to get to win the game. So I'll, I'll say I'll say they get, yeah, to 30 or 31. I'll say so, too, because of the fact that, you know, you put up 24 even with four turnovers. If one of those turnovers when you were about to score two turns into a touchdown, you would have had it last time you played them. Chargers have not been a good defense this year. They're 26th in the NFL in points per, points allowed per game. I think I agree with you. Like, you probably have to get there to win this game, and I think I, I don't want to spoil, I guess, that. But I do like where the Chiefs are in this game. So I'll take the over as well, but it is scary because of the fact that we haven't really seen this offense consistently be able to put up 28 points of late. Yeah, I mean, except for again, except for the Raiders, they did it twice, and the, and that's it. You know, the 22 against the Broncos. Who, granted, the Broncos have a pretty good defense. Um, yeah, I, 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 but again, I, I really, I think the Chargers. I, I don't, I, I haven't seen the prop bets that you've listed out, Derek. I know we like to keep it a surprise. I will say that I think. Um, well, I'll just say I hope I don't ruin anything coming forward. But the 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 Chargers' defense has been bad. It's been particularly bad rushing. Yeah, their rushing defense is garbage, and so I really think that that this could be a good night for uh, Williams and for um and for Clyde Edwards-Helaire. So I I think it, it you know I think in all they get there I I you know yeah I'll, I'll see I'm sticking with over. I'm kind of thinking like 31 points. So that would be the over. So we'll both stick with that. Will there be a defensive or special teams touchdown scored? You get plus 210 odds if they do. By the Chiefs or by either team? Either team. Pick six, punt return, um, kick yeah, return. Yeah, punt return. Um, there have been fewer and fewer punt and kick returns for touchdowns. It really, it seems yeah, like the across last time the, the Chiefs had one. And it seems across the whole NFL it's been getting that way. Um I'll say no on that one. It's defense or special teams. Yeah. I'll go no. I'll say no as well because I feel like, okay, the the no is minus 270. I feel like that's basically saying it should happen one out of every three times almost. Yeah. I feel like there's not a defensive or special teams touchdown one every three games. But the Chiefs lately, there has been. They've been getting a lot, yeah. Um, Matthew Matthew will be a big factor with Legereus Sneed out, but he's going to have to play. The thing about Matthew is he's so versatile. But he's going to be stuck in basically one position now tonight because he he doesn't have Legarius Sneed, who kind of has been the other Tyron Matthew an ability to to play multiple positions, safety and cornerback. Um, but I, I still would say no, I, and I think especially Herbert. If you take the last game as evidence, Herbert's kind of been coming into his own. Yeah, I really don't know the last time the Chiefs had a kick or punt return touchdown, which is weird because when uh, Dave. To, Tobe took over. I think it's pronounced Tobe, right? Um, at the beginning of like the Andy Reid era, like that was like a staple that they would get two or three like every year. That was huge. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the year they started nine and zero. Andy Reid's first year in Kansas City, they had um, McCluster had that big one against the Giants, um, and they they were they were consistent. Tyree Kill. That's how he made his his money early on in his yeah. career. 
And it, yeah, it seems like they've kind of gone away from that. But I don't know. It's it's yeah. I mean, it, and it really, it wasn't even just that year. There was a, a long, long stretch where you could count on this being a really great special teams unit under Dave Tobe, and we just haven't seen it lately. Yeah, maybe they're due tonight. But yeah, I'm going no as well. Okay, let's get on to some uh, player props specifically. We'll start with the quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes. His over-under for passing touchdowns is two and a half. Oh, uh, I got to go under. Well, if you have him scoring over 28. Yeah, I know. Probably four touchdowns as a team, right? Yeah, but I'll give two to him and two to... I mean, if he gets a rushing touchdown, it doesn't count to Exactly. This, so. Yeah, I'll go under. I would go under as well. I think two is the most likely number, but he could have one passing touchdown, two rushing touchdowns, or he could have no touchdowns and like they just all get to the goal line and they're all, you know, to... Clyde, or they run a you know Travis Kelsey Wildcat, like we see them do weird. Or things. Um, who's the? I keep Blake forgetting Bell. his name. No, no, that number forty, who um, the who broke free for the big touchdown to at the oh, end of Derek the Raiders Gore. game. Gore, Gore, He's yeah. my name, Adam. Uh, sorry, my that. name. I actually more associate him his last name because of Frank yeah, Gore. That's right. Um, by the way, did you see that? Because I mentioned Blake Bell. I don't think we ever talked about this. Did you see the one uh, um, person who posted on social media that they met? Like, they, they took a picture because they met Blake Bell. Okay. And they were like, oh, my gosh, I'm out at a restaurant. I met Blake Bell. And it's a picture of her and Blake Bell. Yeah. And it posts on social media and stuff. And literally in the back corner of the picture is Patrick Mahomes. Excellent. And she just had no idea. Good, good, good. It. Is she, like, a big it. OU fan or what? Well, uh, the the husband, or maybe it was the fiance. I forget if they were engaged or married. But he was like, this is my wife or, or whatever it is. Like, to be fair... Um, she went to the same high school as Blake Bell. Okay. So that's why. But he was just like, this is objectively funny. That is awesome. Yeah, it, 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 it's just funny. I'm sure I'm sure Mahomes was was thrilled about it. I would imagine that was like the the best part of his night. Because yeah. he probably everywhere he goes, he's he gets you know, annoyed yeah. for autographs and pictures and stuff. My uh my f- uh, family my parents saw this is a different sport, but they saw Salvador Perez buying electronics. Uh they don't give us money, so I'm not gonna say the name of the store, but he was in an electronics store, and um, people kept coming up and hassle him. And he was being super friendly and taking any pictures. And but his friends, his friends weren't it, they weren't other royals. They were just his buddies, and they were getting just annoyed because like every three minutes they had to stop and he had to take a picture with somebody. Love so that. I'm sure Mahomes was yeah like yeah dude go for it man. <laughs> yeah, you take the brunt for me on this one. Um, all right, more likely to throw an interception, or I guess we'll we'll, we'll do it this way. More interceptions. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, or push? Um, They're over-under for what it's worth is both a half. So. Okay, so that's why it's a push. Yeah. Well, I think at least one gets one. You know what? I'll push it. I'll say maybe it's it's one-to-one. If I had to make a guess, I'd say it's one-to-one, uh, but I'll go push. Mahomes has thrown, what, 12 now? Herbert's at 11. So, I mean, it's it's right in line. When you look at some of the, the bigger games, Herbert has thrown an interception or two. Patrick Mahomes, what you worry about here, though, is that he could have no interceptions that are his fault, but yeah, one tips off his receiver's hands. Yeah. I, I kind of think that the safe bet is both thrown interception in this game. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the push on that as well. But, hey, both could end up throwing zero interceptions, you know, and, and that's a real possibility as well. Uh, more rushing yards, Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert? Mahomes uh, is at 18, Herbert's at 17. Yeah, Herbert. Mahomes. I, I think Mahomes has done, especially, one one thing he has done really well in adjusting to these defenses is is scooting free, and he actually had a few, 
against the Raiders, uh, one of which was that turned out to be that long pass to Tyreek Hill. The, you, you, he's he's done a good job still of, of continuing plays and putting himself in a position where he can still pass. But you've also seen a lot of plays where if he just takes it and doesn't try to chuck it downfield, he's got 12 yards. So yeah, I'll take the I'll take Mahomes, and I would I would even say over 18. I would take the over on both these guys for what it's worth for just their individual number. Um, I would take Mahomes over if it was rushing touchdowns. I actually think it's Justin Herbert for yards in this one, just because I think Mahomes will be around that 20 to 25 mark. If the Chiefs continue to play a lot of man-to-man, which has been kind of successful for them of late, all of a sudden as a quarterback, if all your options are taken, like you scramble and you take off because there's not a man guarding you. I think Justin Herbert might have like 30-plus rushing yards in this game and a couple big scrambles, so I'll take uh, Justin Herbert. Keep an eye on that one. That's the only one we have different so far. Yeah, that's right. Okay, uh, Travis Kelsey, which of these would you rather take the over on? Five and a half receptions or 64 and a half receiving yards? Not, neither. He's he's disappeared the last few weeks. And, and look, that could be because teams are bracketing so hard, and that's why other receivers are getting – I know he's not a receiver, but other options have been, giving, been getting more run, um, most notably Byron Pringle, even though he had a couple drops um, in that – what was that game against the Broncos? Mm-hmm. But – He's he's been he's been gone, and actually, the the if the Chargers are good at anything, it's preventing tight ends from from producing much. Um, but I, I guess I'll take. I have a hard time seeing him getting five catches. Well, but sixty four yards doesn't make you feel great that over the last I think two weeks combined he has six catches. That's the thing, but I can I mean, but it's also hard to say if I had to take one. You're, you're asking me to take the over on one. You can take the under on both. I don't care. Oh, okay. I thought you were telling me I had to pick no, the over I, on I just, just one. I just wanted to frame it that way. No, no, the under on on both. Yeah. Yeah. I would take, yeah. I, I thought you were saying I had to if I had to pick the over on just one of those. Um, but no, I'd take the under on both. I mean, I could see him having like two catches for 20 yards tonight. Yeah, that's kind of what he's been at the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. I'll just go gut feel and say the over on both. Big game for Travis Kelsey. That'd be great. Seven catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. Right when they need him the most. Uh, on to the rushing side of things. This is where you want to feast, it sounds like. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over under 52 and a half rushing yards. Uh, if you want Daryl Williams, his is 14 and a half. <laughs> well, I'll take Hilaire on the on the over. I, I think he busts for about 90 or 100. I think he does really well tonight. Um because the Chargers are so bad at defending the run. And the Chiefs have shown an ability. Um, you know, Orlando Brown has been improving as a pass blocker, but this whole year this unit has been really good at downhill running, and it seems like Andy Reid has finally been able to accept that. It's kind of funny as, as a lot of coaches want to, oh, establish the run and get tough and da-da-da-da-da, whereas Andy Reid almost to a fault goes too far the other way. He's got a unit that can just yeah. – that could tear apart a defensive front, especially one that can't defend the run. Um, I think you have a night tonight that looks a lot like that game in Buffalo last year. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. They ran for, what, like 250 or something yeah. like that? That was kind of how they did it. I, I could totally see that. I Everything you said, I'm in total agreement with. I think this is a big game for Clyde Odor-Zolaire. 52.5 seems way too low to me. I guess you could convince me that maybe it's low because – they're not sure about the timeshare at running back. Like, how much is Daryl Williams going to play? Yeah. How much is Derek Gore going to play? But 
I don't see Derek Gore playing that much. Maybe he gets a couple carries. Daryl Williams, we've seen him be used more, I think, as a, a receiver, although I would take the over 14.5 rushing yards. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, played really well against the Chargers outside of that one fumble when they played earlier this year, too. He had 17 carries for 100 yards, also had two catches for nine yards and a touchdown in that game. I really like him to get the over here. I mean, over the last three weeks, yes, he's not giving you 20 carries a game, but 10 against the Raiders, 14 against the Broncos, 12 against the Cowboys. It's an average of 12 carries a week. If you say he gets 12 carries, I think he gets you 60-plus rushing yards. Yeah, that'd game. be dis- If he got 14, if he got less than 14 yards on 10 or 12 carries, that'd be a really bad day. Yeah, and so the fact, too, that I think he'll get even more carries than that because this will be more of a maybe establish the run game um, just because of those weaknesses you alluded to. I love that. That, that might be my favorite prop bet that we've done so far. Um, so I'll take the over on that one. Keenan Allen, over under 76.5 receiving yards for the Chargers in his return. Over, because I don't know who's going to be able to guard him. Um, it fe- does it not feel like he has like tortured the Chiefs yeah. historically? You know, so I looked this up, and I don't know. Maybe this this takes into account like his his first rookie year or something, and he didn't play much. But in twelve career games against the Chiefs, he's averaging seventy one receiving yards per game. So that would be the under here. But I agree with you, it, and partially it is because you don't know who's going to be defending him. But it's also because like. It just historically feels like the Chiefs have never been able to cover him. Yeah, and and then on top of that, the Chiefs' pass rush is going to be, I would feel so much better. I, I think that the closer we get, the more. I haven't seen confirmation, but I'd at this point be shocked if Chris Jones plays tonight. Um, I do like, we talked about yesterday, um, and once again, I've forgotten his name, but the, the rookie left tackle for the Chargers who's Rashawn been so good. Slater. Yeah, Slater. I, I think Frank Clark has an opportunity. The problem is, I think because that's happening, I, I, I see Justin Herbert getting happy feet because he knows Frank Clark's going to be coming after him with Slater out. So, you know, I, I think he could break the pocket, which could be for run, more running uh, yards for him. Uh, but point being, this is a long way of getting to, I, I think Herbert's going to have more time to throw than he would have with Chris Jones in. Um, I do like that Melvin Ingram's there, though. That's a, that's a, an option that the Chiefs did not have the first time these teams played this year. Yeah, that's different. But um, I'll still go over. Okay, yeah. I, I think if if uh, if Legereus Sneed were playing, I would take the under. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's not the case, so I will take the over as well. All right, last one. Kansas City, well, this is just a sp- straight spread. Kansas City minus three or Chargers plus three. Which side would you go? Chargers. I really... And I'm sticking a lot of it. There's you know there's Chris Jones element. There's the Legarius Sneed element. There's all those elements. But it, it really, if you've listened to our um, game pick segment all year, you've heard me talk all year about how I feel about road games on a on a Thursday night. I hate that position. Um, so for all those reasons, plus the fact that the Chiefs are the road team on a Thursday night. I will take the Chargers. I think they could win outright. I, I would not be surprised in the least. I uh, To put my money where my mouth is, I keep saying how I think this could be kind of the statement game for the Chiefs, and uh, I guess I'll, I'll go with it. Chiefs minus three, Chiefs money line, big win tonight. If they win, and if they win convincingly, we are – I mean, the discussion is the Chiefs is the one seed, which yeah. is crazy to think about. And Adam will be having that discussion tomorrow by himself. I'm leaving you, so uh, – you're welcome for leaving you the day after the Chiefs have their biggest game. I'm glad, I was going to say, yeah. I'm glad at the very least we're going to have something <laughs> right? to talk about. 
Glad I didn't leave you in like on like July. Oh, that's what I was gonna like say. That, you're but. gonna you're gonna take a vacation during the damn All Star break in July, and I'm gonna have nothing. <laughs> well, I'll surprise you with that one. We'll see. Uh, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. This FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. More Lance Lightpulled audio next. Welcome back in. You're listening to RCST. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. Don't forget you can check out our best of RCST podcast. And we got KU basketball coming at you on the airwaves on Saturday. The Jayhawks taking on Stephen F. Austin at 7 o'clock with pregame starting right here at 530. You can also hear that on our sister station at 105.9 KISS. We got high school basketball on Friday on the airwaves, too. Free State is going to be having their first games on the airwaves. We, we did a game a couple weeks ago with the Lawrence High girls and boys. Free State girls will be at 5.30. Free State boys will be at 7 o'clock. Both of them are hosting Shawnee Mission Northwest. Sam Speck, Craig Hershiser will be on the call. Again, that's tomorrow. Free State basketball. The coverage will start at 5.15 on KLWN after Adam does heist or uh, does RCST. I'll uh, be out tomorrow and Monday going back home for little uh, Christmas break, but I'll be back after that. Um, anyway, Lance Leipold spoke with the media yesterday ahead of or after signing day, and we already played those first couple parts for you. Here is the rest of Lance Leipold. You, you mentioned how things have completely changed from May. It seemed like you guys were prepared as a staff to meet that. Can you speak to that, like your whole staff, uh, recruiting staff being ready to go out and potentially look at transfer portal kids, get in early on them? I mean, because, again, this is something that maybe a year ago staff didn't even deal with. You kind of had to... Well, as it as information and everybody um, that covers recruiting and and does thing is always looking, um, there's always breaking news and all. But as that goes, we're evaluating everything that can come across. So, as as I said earlier, we knew the 22 class would be slow going to start because of our late arrival that way and, and as it kind of continued to go. And, and then as we saw opportunities after evaluating our, some of our games, okay, this is where we could use a little more um, you know, experience and things like that. So yeah, those things started to pick up in what we were um, you know, looking at and, and those uh, evaluations and relationships were starting and, and as you guys probably know, some of them were on campus and even attended, you know, late games in the season. And last one for me, how much do you think the last three weeks helped you um, with potential transfer portal guys or guys that are coming in with experience to say this is where the program? Last three weeks of the season, I right, immensely. I, I think it, it definitely helped. I, I would, I would, I would I, again. Um, it's interesting, um, it's just personal opinion, that you know, when you deal sometimes with players that are in the portal or something like that, I, I think uh, the maturity of maybe, depending on how long, how long they've been in college is definitely different. I think it's definitely different also their set of, uh, of criteria of what they're looking for. It's not always the biggest stadium and the most uniform combinations and, and what kind of photo shoot they get. It's more about, I guess I'll use the word substance. Is where, where do I fit in? 
Who am I fitting in with? What's it more about? And is it going to help me get to my next goal? And and that that part is and um, you know I think the substance and genuineness and thoroughness and the integrity part I think we'll we'll be able to hold up just well with that and I'm excited about that part. Um, the last few games of the year, um, yes, and not just there. It was with high school as well moving forward. Um, I was in Dallas right away. Um, you know, the first day out. And the thing that I was so highly impressed with is the amount of high school coaches that talked about those games late in the season, but had watched the games and watched. And they were, and I really want to credit our, our players and assistant coaches is because they talked about how hard our players were playing. And again, as a, as a head coach, that's fulfilling because especially where we were record-wise. And sometimes when you take a little bit step back and you're doing a lot of traveling and you're sitting on a plane and you're, and you're looking at it and you're kind of going, you know, when you're one and seven, there's a lot of ways for a lot of people not, not to show up, not to play as hard and be on their own agenda. And for us to get a win in Austin and then to keep playing as hard is definitely things that not only internally are going to help us, but it's going to help us recruiting this year and down the road, and that's that's exciting. John? Yeah, Lance, with the portal, it, this almost feels like different phases of recruiting. You're going to have when they show up, possibly in January. Then you've got the late signing day in February. And then you guys could be hosting and talking about recruits in March, April, and May, can't you? Hosting? Now, I, we're, we wouldn't be in a contact period. Um, but there could be, yeah, there's, there's other ways that you can go through things. I think that's my recruiting count. I got to look back. I'm just, no, we just went dead. <laughs> but yeah, um, they've talked about, and I've seen some little things about, should they push this day back? And, you know, when, when they say recruiting never stops, um, it truly won't, it isn't and won't. I would just ask who's ever making those statements to think of, all the families and wives and children that uh, what that'll affect uh, their holiday season. And uh, that's kind of, uh, not that it doesn't, not that I know sometimes, but um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, as they say, it's free agency and a lot of other things. And we're, we're definitely in a, a new, new wave of uh, operating and it'll be that way. It's going to be that way, and um, you know, hopefully, it it finds its settling point in some ways because you see information where, what was it, seventy five percent of the guys that are FBS players in the portal haven't found a home yet. Now that number is probably a little low because people aren't announcing and things like that. But there's going to be a lot of lot lot of players. Um, that that are gonna have struggle finding the the rest of the, their their college playing days, let alone education. Yeah, Lance, you you uh you signed Mason, a, a local guy, and I think he said that the decision is that he's gonna gray shirt. Is why was that the best route um for for Mason in this class? Yeah, I think I can. Am I good on that? Um, I'm trying to figure out all those different ones. Yeah, we're excited about about Mason Ellis and 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 where that's at, and obviously to have someone right here from the state of Kansas and 
Um, when we looked at our holistic numbers, that gave us the best flexibility for him and uh, for our future as well. And, and it really was, I really admire his family and, and, and Mason because as they continue to look at the situations we talked about, the good thing is that Mason entered high school or, or grade, you know, school early. He's 17 years old. He doesn't turn 18 until July. So for holistically for his development, it even made more sense. So um, that's, that's kind of where it, it kept coming all together. And as when we presented that option for him, that was our best way um, to, uh, to present to get him in this program and, and make, it, make it all work. And I was curious, maybe I'll get to ask this the next time we have an availability, um, like how much Jared Casey or, or just the local guys in general, Devin Neal, you can throw him in there, and, and some other guys as well, right, like Sam Burt, how much their successes – have impacted local recruiting, and specifically with a guy like they were just talking about, Ellis Mason, who's going to be gray shirting. Which I'll explain that in a second. Um, like, how much did Jared Casey impact a decision like that? I just there was so many questions being asked. I just didn't get a chance to get the microphone and ask the question from from Lance Leipold there. But um, I'm sure I'll get a chance to ask him at some point over the off season about that because I'm just kind of intrigued by that. But as far as the gray shirting, what that means, because Ellis Mason, a kid from Western Kansas, and who knows, maybe he's the next Jared Casey, a guy who's playing some significant snaps for you in a couple of years um, from in the state of Kansas. So what a gray shirt is is basically. The intent is you're going to be using a scholarship on the kid and he's going to be on the team, but it won't occur this season. So basically, Ellis Mason will wait a semester to enroll in college. So he'll be, I don't know what he'll be doing this semester, just working out, maybe he'll work a part-time job, whatever, I don't know, go travel somewhere, whatever he wants to do. Um, and then I think he enrolls in the team for the spring semester, so he can start practicing with the team then, then starts counting on the scholarship, and I believe... The scholarship at that point then counts to next year, but I'm not 100% certain on that part. But that's kind of what uh, the idea of gray shirting is. Uh, a couple things that he, Lance Leipold touched on in, in this audio portion of it. I mentioned in the last one uh, the idea of him talking about the new wave of operate and how it's free agency. And again, it's not something that I'm sure the coaches love. Like It just creates headaches and so forth. But they understand this is just how it goes, and, and this is our job. And I appreciate that he... Like I said, I would understand why, as a coach, you would not enjoy this. Because, like I said, it creates so many headaches. But at the same point in time, you got to kind of just deal with it and say, okay, well, let's embrace it. You know, let's let's turn this into a positive. And, and it sounds like they very much are, which is really cool because this is a really good opportunity to make a mark in college football. I've mentioned the comparison. I mean, Scott Aligo comes over. I guess it's not a comparison because I'm not saying this would be what happened. But Scott Aligo comes over from Michigan State. And that is kind of his big role for KU. And obviously, they've landed a handful of, of transfers from the portal. Well, Michigan State won two games last year. This year, they went 10-2. and two, And they brought on just shy of 20 transfers. Not all of it is because of that. But, hey, guess what? Michigan State's best player, Kenneth Walker, 
who was sixth, I think, in the Heisman voting. He was a transfer, right? And, and a lot of the guys they brought on turned into a big turnaround for the team. You're going to see turnaround stories. You're going to see teams' rosters being constructed the same way we see it in college basketball. Chris Beard went to the national championship with a bunch of transfers on his team. Arkansas, or, or Eric Musselman, whether it's been at Arkansas or Nevada, like that has been his M.O. He makes a living on the transfer portal. You're going to start seeing that in college football as well, and you have to just kind of embrace it. And certainly KU has. Um, the other two things that I thought were of interest that he mentioned, um, the last three weeks, how they helped so much. The stories he shared about the coaches in Dallas, about how they saw the games and how hard the team was playing. I would imagine it's the same situation for in-state guys and with the in-state success of Jared Casey, which again goes back to, at some point we'll have to ask Lance Leipold something about that. Um, and also just talking about the... Um, I. While all the transfer portal stuff can be headaches for keeping track of which guys are leaving from your school, trying to keep them from leaving and trying to keep everybody happy, but also trying to scout all these players in the transfer portal, trying to figure out which ones are best for you, trying to recruit the right ones, so forth. Um, it also sounded a bit refreshing to Lance Leipold, the transfer portal, how you know the way he described it with the type of player who's in there and what they're looking for in the, the recruiting process almost makes it fit what Kansas wants even more. Because as he mentioned, um, it's different for the criteria of what transfer portal players are looking for. He mentioned the word substance, right? With you going through this recruiting process for a second time, it just makes it different. And you're maybe going to more value some of the things that um, I think are going to relate to the Kansas coaches and make it more likable for you to come to KU. And I think it's probably less of a headache from that standpoint of trying to please an 18-year-old or 17-year-old. I didn't mean that for to sound weird, but it did. Um, then going after a, a 22-year-old instead of having to throw out the red carpet for a 17- or 18-year-old. But uh, just thought that was kind of all interesting stuff. And that was Lance Leipold speaking with the media after uh, early signing period. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.